Hello, everyone, and welcome back to SALT Talks. My name is John Darcy. I'm the Managing Director of SALT, which is a global thought leadership forum and networking platform at the intersection of finance, technology, and public policy. SALT Talks are a digital interview series with leading investors, creators, and thinkers. And our goal on these talks is the same as our goal at our SALT conferences, which is to provide a window into the mind of subject matter experts, as well as provide a platform for what we think are big ideas that are shaping the future. And we're very excited today to have a conversation about the state of our, our nation's healthcare system with Adrian Aoun, who is the founder and CEO of Forward, which is an AI-based healthcare system combining world-class private doctors with new technology to enable proactive data-driven primary care. Most recently, uh, most recently, Adrian was the head of special projects for the CEO of Google Alphabet, uh, where he founded one of Alphabet Company's Sidewalk Labs. Uh, Adrian arrived at Google upon the acquisition of his AI startup, Wavy, uh, and spent his first year at Google helping to create and build their AI division. Adrian is an active angel investor as well and advisor to a number of technology startups and funds. So Adrian, welcome to the show. Great to have you on. Uh, I talked Thank a little you. bit about your bio, but in your own words, could you tell us how uh, your career developed, where you're educated, and how it led you to found uh, what is one of the most innovative healthcare technology startups in the world? Yeah. So in some ways, I'm not sure that it's my uh, it's my formal education that kind of led me down this path. Maybe it's a it's a little more my informal education that led me down this path. So I grew up uh, I grew up in a family of academics. Um, in some ways, I might be the least educated person uh, in my family. I think uh, when I when I dropped out, uh, as my parents call it, when I dropped out after uh, getting two bachelors and a master's, my parents looked at me and said, "Wait, wait, wait! We each have two PhDs." And so I was a little kind of like you know black sheep. But what that means is I grew up in a family uh, that was incredibly intellectually curious. Um, and part of this was uh, my dad's a linguist, and so I grew up. You know, grew up around the table with folks like Chomsky around the table, and part of uh, part of that means that from a very young age, um, we were just constantly asking questions, trying to understand things like how how does language work, and part of part of when you're asking about how does language work, really what you're saying is how does the how does the brain work? How do you, how do you kind of intuitively understand how to communicate? Now, there's this really fascinating thing um, about language, which is. Um, you know, you you went to school and you kind of like learned all your, your English books from kindergarten and all the way to, I don't know, ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade. And if you fed all that into a computer, the computer still wouldn't know how to how to understand language. In fact, you know, there was this fancy uh, kind of uh, thing that would occur, which is when linguists are debating about uh, language structures, what they would do is they would argue kind of these rules and these rules. And then eventually when they want to know, like, what's the right answer, they would just turn to me. Like, imagine Chomsky turning to me as a little kid. Is be like, which of these sounds better? You know, this sentence or this sentence? And you'd be like, this one sounds better. And they'd be like, ha, that's how you know what's right. Like, wait, how's that make any sense? You just ask the kid, like, what sounds better? And, and what you realize is actually the right answer is whatever your brain believes is the right answer. And you go, well, wait a minute, what's, what, what's kind of insight there? And the insight is that language is not just a bunch of rules that are in, a, in, in books. It's not like math where it's like, hey, we've got a bunch of rules and we're building on top of them. Actually, language is much more this kind of this thing that's almost like built into your brain and passed on to generate from generation to generation. In other words, what you kind of start to realize is that language is one of the beginnings of, of artificial intelligence. And, and actually, this is why in the field of AI, most of AI kind of really came 
from language understanding. So when you ask yourself, like, why is Google one of the like preeminent companies in artificial intelligence? It's because they were, they were a search engine because they were crawling the web, trying to understand words. So what my, uh, so what my first company um, did was we crawled the web and um, rather than just trying to index it like Google, where it's like, we just look at what words are on what page, we tried to go a step further. And we tried to say, yeah, we're not just looking at what words are on what page. We tried to understand what meaning is on what page. So rather than building a search engine, let's build a knowledge engine, right? So imagine you read the entire internet. You'd be the smartest human ever, right? So let's go ahead and let's create the, the smartest computer ever. So imagine reading the entire web and just building this knowledge graph of all knowledge ever created. That'd be amazing, right? That'd be wonderful and wild. And that's kind of what the, the wavy technology did. So we built the world's largest knowledge graph. Um, and in fact, you can kind of see it now. So if you go to Google and you just ask a question like, how old is Barack Obama or how tall is Barack Obama? Basically, the wavy technology did that because we'd crawl the web and we just read it and we kind of extract knowledge. And that's kind of the beginnings of where uh, of where I started to kind of explore and understand um, a little of technology, a little of the brain, a little of artificial intelligence, et cetera. And you'll note that basically none of that came from my formal education um, uh, at university, if that makes sense. Yeah, it came at a lot of those dinner table conversations where you probably got a pretty good education for a couple of uh, from a couple of PhDs as well. That's right. That's right. So you're at Google. You you are deep into AI, and you're I guess you're probably thinking about okay, how do I take this knowledge set and skill set that I've developed and apply it into an area that uh, I can make a big difference in the world? Probably. What leads you to take that knowledge and those skills that you've developed and apply it towards healthcare? Yeah. So so the story goes that basically. I was, uh, I got to Google, there wasn't really much of an AI division to speak of when I got there, which is kind of an odd, uh, an odd thing to think about. Like there were, there were pockets of AI kind of all around, but basically um, when I got there, we kind of created this, this machine intelligence org, right? Kind of AI was like not really hot when I got to Google. And then uh, we kind of created this machine intelligence org and like really put AI back on the map, right? Um, bought DeepMind out of London, really grew this org from not existing to, I don't know, order of about a thousand people a year later. Um, now, um, I, uh, being, you know, your kind of Silicon Valley entrepreneur, I really didn't enjoy my Google experience in that first year. It was very fascinating. It was interesting, but I really like impact. I really like delivering products that people use. And the problem with Google in some ways is that, um, uh, one of the problems is that it's a very, very large company with amazing talents. I mean, off, off the charts talent. But um, Google loves solutions more than problems. And by that, what I mean is um, it's the world's most amazing technology that will never see the light of day. Um, and uh, and you see this, right? They put out all these papers and all this research and you're just like, yeah, but I'm not using any of it, right? Um, and so we had all this AI and the search engine was like 10 blue links. And it's like been 10 blue links for the last 10 years. And I'm like, well, what the hell is all this shit doing, right? Um, uh, and so because we were so non-innovative on actually delivering products, I was incredibly frustrated. And so about uh, a year in, well, I promised myself I'd make it to a year at Google. And, you know, I was pretty bad at that. So about 11 months in, I quit. Um, which means 11 and a half months in was my last day. Um, uh, you can tell I, I, I'm really not a big company person. And, uh, and so what happened was um, uh, our CEO at the time was Larry Page. And he came, uh, he walked into my going away party. Um, so everybody's you know, drinking, drinking some drinks. And he walks in and he goes, why is everybody celebrating? What do you mean? Why is everybody celebrating? It's my going away party. And he goes, you're not leaving. And I go, well, you know, I get that you're a you know, fairly wealthy guy, pretty powerful, but like I get to choose if I'm leaving. 
And, uh, and he goes, well, when your party's done, go ahead and you know, swing by my office and let's go on a walk. So I go on a walk with him and, um, and he goes, well, why are you leaving? And I go, well, we're just not innovating. We're not doing anything. And he starts arguing with me. He goes, well, I don't know. Let's like uh, look at all these things we're doing here in this org and YouTube and, and ads and, and, you know, search. And, and I basically argue him like, literally, you can't point to a single thing in any of these orgs. that's actually innovative that we've launched in the last like 10 years. Like, in fact, everything that is innovative, we purchased in the last 10 years. And after we argued this for about, I don't know, an hour or two, it's a long walk. He goes, uh, he turns and he goes, actually, I agree with everything you're saying. And I go, what? And go, well, why are you arguing? He's like, I just wanted to see if you could argue it. Um, and, and I go, well, hold on. If you agree with everything I'm saying, then like, why are we having this conversation? And he goes, um, he goes, yeah, I think Google is basically not innovative. Um, uh, and I go, well, at this point, I go, well, now I'm certainly leaving. Um, uh, and, and he goes, well, I'm thinking uh, we should do something else. And I'm like, I don't know, is Larry Page asking me to like co-found a company right now? Like, what the hell is this conversation, right? I'm very confused. And we basically spent the next, uh, we basically spent the entire weekend at this point kind of hatching an idea for how we could, uh, how we could be more innovative. Um, and we decided to create um, a, a basically a special projects division. Think of it as, um, and this was a division that I um, ended up running um, while working for Larry for the next few years. So the way to think of it is I quit on a Friday, started back on a Monday. Um, uh, so in the end, he was right. Um, uh, and so what, what it was, was we decided to take the best parts of Google, which frankly wasn't much, basically the bank account, um, and say, let's go ahead and start building companies um, uh, in new sectors. Now, this is what, uh, what you can imagine eventually became Alphabet, right? Um, and the idea was the world has large problems that, that um, only a company like Google could really go after because Google has the competitive advantage of, frankly, having an enormous amount of resources. Though, as you start to peel back layers of the onion, most of those resources really just come down to they can bankroll things for a large amount of time. And so what I did was I started a division. Um, we kept it fairly quiet um, uh, that that in essence started to look across major world problems. We looked at everything from poverty to uh, to healthcare to the uh, urban environment to transportation space travel to I mean you name it we looked at just like what are the biggest things you could go after construction literally things like you know getting people out of prisons and uh, uh, and birth control I mean you name it um, and then we said which of these would make most sense for Google to go after let's go ahead and start companies in these uh, in these spaces now there are some things that made this uh, structure work really well the alphabet structures fantastic for some things and some things that made the structure really, really difficult. It turns out the Google overhang is, is, is a lot of baggage. Um, uh, but, but I was doing that for, um, for a few years, um, started some of the alphabet companies, um, as you mentioned. Um, and as I was doing that, um, what happened was I, I learned a little about healthcare, but primarily the reason I learned about it was because, um, because uh, some of my family, my brother had a heart attack. And so I kind of went from not paying attention to healthcare to, overnight being pretty laser focused on it. And, um, and what I saw was pretty alarming. Now, there's this kind of really fascinating um, thing that, that you start to realize about healthcare, which is, which is, you know, you and I, we all think of healthcare as like this garbage, garbage sort of thing. But actually when you look um, kind of globally, it's not only that it's garbage, it's like, it's garbage it's not even e that's not even evenly distributed, right? So there's, there's roughly about, uh, I'm just shy of about 8 billion people on the planet. And order of like less than, I don't know, 2 billion of them have, have access to even this form of garbage that you and I even, you know, have access to. So let's just take a step back. 
let's pretend I told you, I want to get doctors to the whole planet. I want to get doctors to the middle of India, to the middle of Rwanda. I want to get doctors to billions of people. You're going to say, Adrian, where are you going to get all these doctors and who the hell is going to pay for them, right? On the other hand, if I told you, I want to get smartphones to the whole planet. I want to get smartphones to the middle of India. I want to get smartphones to the middle of Rwanda. I want to get smartphones to the whole planet. You're going to say, hmm, Adrian, not only do I think it's possible, I think you're a little late to the game, right? So what do you intuitively know? Well, you intuitively know that technology scales in a way that's, that that uh, you know humans don't. Or another way to say it is, um, uh, another way to say it is hardware and software scales in a way that doctors and nurses don't. So at Ford, we only have one key insight that we believe that nobody else believes, which is we believe healthcare should be a product, not a service. We just want to take every single thing that doctors and nurses, et cetera, are doing and just move it over to hardware and software. Because actually what it does is it frees those doctors and nurses up to just kind of have more and more impact across the world. And, and so if you can do this, what you can do is you can actually scale up healthcare out to billions and billions of people the same way we get smartphones out to the planet. And so the whole key insight here is, is that if you can go ahead and turn healthcare from a service into a product, you can actually turn it into a technology company and you can scale it out to the masses. And so our, our mission at Ford is we want to create the first healthcare system that scales up to a billion people, right? Like, think about that. If it, if in the world of healthcare, you say, I want to create a billion person healthcare system, people look at you like you're crazy, right? I mean, Kaiser's 75 years old and they have, I don't know, 11, 12 million users. Kaiser was a tech company, you would have never heard of it. You wouldn't have the app on your phone, right? On the other hand, in the world of technology, if you say, I want to create a billion person, I don't know, iPhone, you're like, oh, is that all, right? Like, I don't know, the Android's got like two or three billion users, right? Um, and so we need to move to a world where healthcare just looks incredibly different than it does today. And so what Ford's trying to do is we're trying to rebuild every part of the healthcare system's foundations, right? Which means we, we do our own hardware, we do our own software, we sequence your DNA, we process your blood. I mean, we're trying to rebuild the infrastructure of healthcare so that it starts to look more like a technology product so we can start to build on top of it, right? But, but the problem is that the plumbing of healthcare isn't there today. Um, and you can kind of see this, right? Let me just give you, let me give you a couple ways to think about this, right? Well, when I, when I was an engineer at, um, at Google, you know, I, I worked on the search engine and I could sit down at a computer um, and write some code and, uh, and ship it into the search engine. And later today, 3 billion people would see my changes. 3 billion people were affected by what I did. I mean, like, holy shit, like, wow, right? But if you're a doctor, when you sit down to work, like, I don't know, you work on somebody's flu, like one person is affected. You ever think about that? Like one person is affected by what you did. So why is it that the engineer gets to affect 3 billion people and you get to affect one person? Well, is it that the engineer is smarter than the doctor? No. Is it that the engineer went to more school than the doctor? No, it's like kind of the opposite. Is it that the, uh, the engineer must be more altruistic, right? They just must care more. No. It's because at the end of the day, the engineer, when they sit down to work, they sit down at a laptop, which is like the sum culmination of all human advancement in this beautiful two-pound device, right? When a doctor sits down to work, the first thing they pull out is a stethoscope. It's like a hollow tube invented in 1860. You know, when you were uh, when you were a kid and you wanted to hear what your parents were saying in the other room, you took like a glass to the door to like hear what this area. I mean, it's literally that, right? It's like we have the most garbage tools you've ever seen. 
And so we realize is like, we need to build like the laptop for doctors. We need to build them the world's best tools that they can start to have the same level of impact that engineers have. And when we do that, the world's going to start to look very, very different. Does that kind of give you a sense of it? Yeah, absolutely. From a data perspective, you know, it's, it's long been talked about as a huge barrier to information sharing within healthcare. You know, is it, is it a matter of data privacy? Is it a matter of just no one going in and building better plumbing for the sharing of healthcare data? What are the biggest challenges to building that data set necessary to scale it up to, you know, billions of people like you talk about? Yeah. So, so for some really odd reason, um, all of, uh, all of Silicon Valley has decided that healthcare is just a data problem. Um, uh, and you can kind of see this, right? Like if you look at like Apple's strategy or Google strategy, they're like, well, we'll just get all the data. Well, I don't know whether it's HealthKit or Google being like, well, let's get all the MR data and now we're done. Except it just turns out that it's just not that easy, right? And you know that it's not that easy, right? Because you can have all the, all the algorithms and all that sort of stuff, but it's like, sure, but healthcare is not just like a data problem. It's not an informatics problem, right? It turns out that like your body is physical. Right. And you know this, right? Because at some point, like when you go to the doctor, they just do real procedures, right? There's open heart surgery. There's somebody who's like draws your blood. There's, you know, there's, there's vaccines. There's, I don't know, moving a bone. There's, you know, ear lavage. There's pap smears. Like at some point, that's also part of the equation. And so now what you realize is like all these, all these people who are focused on data are just kind of like they're missing one side of the equation. Right. And so it's, so it's a little like asking yourself, hey, if I want to build the self driving car, it's like, yeah, you got to actually build the car, dude, right? You can't just like build the algorithm. It's like build the damn car, you know? And, and this is kind of the point. So, so at Ford, we didn't just say, hey, let's go ahead and like partner with some existing healthcare system and get some data. That's an absurd notion. And good luck. Anybody's trying that. You're, you're <laughs> never going to do it. Um, uh, we said, let's rebuild the healthcare system. So like the future of healthcare at some point, like if you truly want to scale healthcare to billions of people, um, whether you like it or not, at some point, you're going to become a robotics company. You're going to become an infrastructure company, right? Like at some point you realize that like for healthcare to truly be a product at scale for billions of people, you have to put healthcare on every street corner. Well, how are you going to do that with your, with your algorithms and your data? Like, no, you actually have to put healthcare on every street corner. But what does that mean to put healthcare on every street corner? Well, again, healthcare has to look like an infrastructure company, right? Healthcare has to become hardware. Right. So, so just imagine, just imagine kind of a very, uh, a very simple notion. And we you kind of see us starting to get there with these things like wearables and these, but this is like, this is like, I mean, this is like the baby version, right? It's like, oh, it sounds good. You can tell me my sleep. Okay, great. Like, but can you do anything that material? Like we can't fix a damn bone today, right? Oh, you broke a bone. Sorry. Like, you know, you gotta go, you gotta go see a $200,000 a year doctor. Well, okay, come on, but we got to do better than that. Right. And so, so the point is, like, if you truly want to get healthcare to to kind of enter into a new world, if you want to get healthcare to to um, to materially kind of scale, you have to actually start to build out the the raw infrastructure. Um, but the raw infrastructure has to be digital. So what we're doing is we're taking the the kind of let's call it the software layer, and we're saying let's build algorithms. But we're not taking the physical layer and saying let's build algorithms. And it's because it's very scary for us. We go wait, 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 wait. All of a sudden, does this mean like robotic surgery, et cetera? And like, oh, okay, well maybe we kind of go along this path, right? So, so um, if I just asked you to just do something really, really simple today, right? And I said, hey, on your way home from work, John, do me a favor and just um, pick up two hundred bucks of cash. Okay, no problem. I'll swing by an ATM. I'll go grab 200 bucks cash. No big deal. 
Uh, hey, John, on your way home from work, do me a favor and uh, go get an EKG. No, I can't. Well, why can't you? Why can't you go get an EKG? Well, I guess I, get, I need a doctor's appointment, maybe a prescription, maybe, a, I don't know, I need all these things. It'll be like a few weeks or whatever. Hmm, this is really odd. There's like, I don't know, 50,000 EKGs, 100,000 EKGs sitting in the corners of rooms collecting dust in the United States. Why can't you get an EKG? What's going on there? And what you realize is because an EKG today is a service, it's not a product. Like why can't, why are EKGs not on every street corner in this country? Why can you not just walk up to an EKG and just get the damn EKG? Why can you not just get the ultrasound? Why can you not just get the MRI? Why can you not just get the blood test? We have not turned them into products, right? They're still services. They still sit behind people. And what you realize is even the low hanging fruit of healthcare is still sitting behind a very expensive human, which means at the end of the day, like you can't, you can't actually engage it. So imagine if I told you like, Hey, go buy a flight and go buy a flight to LA. And you said, okay, sounds good. I'm going to go, you know, swing by my travel agent's office. Like really dude, it's the year 2022. Like don't swing by your travel agent's office. Just go, go to Expedia, go to, you know, United airlines, just buy the damn, buy the damn ticket. Well, this is the world that healthcare lives in. Right. Um, and we need to change this. And the more that we change this, the more that we're going to start to move to a world where healthcare is a product and healthcare becomes ubiquitous and healthcare becomes scalable. But this, but this is just the very beginning. That infrastructure does not exist today. So again, I'm going to push it like it's not just a data problem. It's the full, it's the full, full piece, right? Now, as you start to build out that infrastructure, the world starts to change. So let's just take a really simple example. Let's take this aura ring. I love my aura ring. It's super awesome. But in some ways, it's an incredibly useless device. You know what it does? Every morning I wake up and I go to my little aura app and it says, you slept terribly. I'm like, no shit, I slept terribly, right? Like now what, right? I can't change my diet, can't change my pills, can't change my exercise, doesn't know what's going on with my blood, doesn't know what's going on with my mental health, doesn't know anything else. Why? Because at the end of the day, what's it going to do? Go talk to my doctor? Is it going to phone up my doctor? Like at the end of the day, none of these things are, are connected. Now, that's not just data because this is the key. It has to be able to actually move different parts of my health, right? So imagine if my aura ring could like change my prescription. Imagine if my aura ring could change my diet. Imagine if my aura ring could like get me an EKG. Well, all these things don't exist. There is no, you know, in the world of, uh, of my iPhone, all of this exists as a platform. You can just go into your phone and you can write against these cool little APIs that says, take a photo, right? And store this data and text somebody and, and play some music. Well, there, there is no platform for healthcare. There is no operating system for healthcare. The reason the mobile computing revolution took off was because there was this underlying thing called the iPhone and iOS that allows the apps to engage all these abilities and engage every part of my life but that doesn't exist in healthcare. And so at some point, somebody needs to create the platform for healthcare. And that's what we're trying to do. Does that kind of make yeah, sense? So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, so what's what's the extent of your ambition? Obviously your ambition is to uh, address healthcare for billions of people. So uh, let's say in 10 years from now, forward, are we talking about a robotics company? Are we talking about uh, also a software company that's crunching large amounts of data, but what sort of the the end game here for what you want forward to look like once it's fully mature. Yeah. Well, so I'll give you the bad news. The bad news is uh, it's going to take a hell of a lot longer than 10 years. <laughs> um, uh, and maybe the worst news is we're in, we're very classic Silicon Valley, just like, you know, full of hubris. Um, uh, so, so what I'm going to say is incredibly arrogant. So I apologize, but um, our end game is we'd like to rebuild the entire healthcare system for the entire planet from the ground up. Um, we will stop. I'll tell you, we'll stop. We'll stop when uh, when there's no more death. 
um, uh, and when quality of life is utopia. Um, look, health's a huge problem, right? Like, I, like our metric of success is really simple. Um, in the world of health uh, economists, they they use this metric called qualies. Are you familiar with qualies? Q A L I S. Yeah, I'm somewhat familiar with it. My brother's a doctor, so uh, okay, yeah, 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 great. So, so you're familiar with this. So, for for folks listening, and this is quality adjusted life years. So, basically, is the metric of like, are you doing good in the world? And the metric we want to move is qualities. And what that means is um, life years. We know what that is. We just want people to live longer, but quality adjusted. Yeah, we want you to live longer, but you know, it's probably better if you're, I don't know, like running around, not in a wheelchair, as an example, right? Um, uh, and, and the idea is really simple. We want, uh, we want that number to go as high as damn possible to infinity, ideally. Um, and so it's a pretty tall order if you think about it, right? Um, uh, average life expectancy on this planet is 72 years. Let's put this in perspective. Okay. I'm going to use, uh, use a kind of simple way to think about this. Um, if we go back to the bronze age, 5,500 years ago. Okay. Um, uh, and we look at like transportation. So humans were walking around, we're walking around on our own two feet. We didn't even have shoes. Okay. So, uh, we traveled about five miles a day. It's pretty hard when you don't have shoes to walk too much further. Then about 2000 years later, we started walking around on sandals. We invented sandals. Awesome. We went up to about 10 miles, you know, a few hundred years later, we start taming horses. Now we're up to maybe 50 miles, maybe even hundred miles. We went all the way a couple thousand years. This is up to like roughly about 200 years ago. So literally we kind of, you know, from, from five up to a hundred in thousands and thousands of years. Then we start creating like, you know, uh, uh, you know, planes, trains, automobiles, like literally start skyrocketing. Then we literally create rockets, right? We go to the moon, which is, I don't know, about 125,000 miles away. Then we go to like, literally Elon's trying to go to like Mars, which is 125 million miles away. So literally we kind of did this and then we just boom, right? In the last 200 years, right? So 125 million X, like, holy shit, like that's insane. Now let's look at life expectancy. So um, if you lived in the Bronze Age um, and you were born, you had roughly a third probability of death um, uh, in infancy. So now let's presume you didn't die. So uh, you're kind of two thirds chance you, you survive that. Okay, pretty good. Um, now what's life expectancy? Uh, about 47 years old. Okay, wait a minute, something has just happened because you're telling me that 5,500 years ago, I was living to 47. Now I'm living to like 70 to 72. So we increased it by, I don't know, about half. Transportation went up 125 million X and life expectancy went up by 0.5 X. Like what the fuck? Like, where's my rockets? Where's my spaceships? You know, like where's my, at least where's my planes, you know, like give me planes. And what you realize is healthcare has kind of done nothing. Healthcare is like nowhere. Like, in fact, I challenge a really simple thing. If you never go to the doctor, how much does, how much does your life expectancy change? Shockingly little, shockingly little, Right. right. I'm not saying don't go to the doctor. I want to be clear for anybody listening, but I'm just saying, let's be real. It's not doing that much. And you know this, you know this intuitively, because if one of your friends comes up to you and is like, John, hey, just, you know, I didn't get my checkup this year. You're not like, oh, fuck. Oh, man. Poor Bobby. Right. He's going to die. Oh, poor Bobby. No, you're like, I don't know. I'm not sure that it really matters. Right. And like, that's how that's how that's how bad it is. That's a, that's the state of the medical world. You know, this. we just had a global pandemic and our first piece of advice. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. No worries, no worries. Just go ahead and grab a piece of paper, put it over your face. That's literally our advice in the middle of a global pandemic. Like, wait a minute, 5,500 yeah. years in, we got to do better. And so, so the thing that Forward wants more than anything is if you create the platform whereby people can start building on top of, 
what you're going to find is that rate of innovation starts to change. What you're going to find is similar to how transportation started to take off. You'll find that actually the rate of innovation of healthcare starts to take off. And we start moving from this kind of snail's pace to, oh my God, now we can start to truly, truly have like pretty rapid discovery. That's the world that I want to move to. That's the world that I'm hoping for. It's not the world that we have today. Now, I think that might take longer than uh, longer than the 10 years that you hope for, but uh, but I love the ambition. It's a great mission. The last question I want to leave you with is just giving people a picture again of what this future is going to look like. How much of it is a matter of using things like telehealth uh, to address certain issues? How much of it is better utilization of equipment and personnel and, and uh, labor that we have that, that potentially goes unused in certain circumstances? You mentioned the idea of EKGs sitting empty at offices, but you know, what, what is the solution to this puzzle look like to deliver higher quality care to more people without, you know, necessarily having to scale so far up in terms of uh, the number of people delivering that service? Yeah. So, so, you know, during the pandemic, um, uh, everybody started talking about telehealth and uh, telehealth is the future. And uh, frankly, it was, it was actually even tough for us to like raise, raise around of funding because everybody was like, wait, you're building things. Like, what are you talking about? Telemedicine is the future, Adrian. I think you're missing the boat. And I just sat there and I just kind of looked at everybody and they're like, well, first off, if you think like FaceTiming a doctor is innovation, like, holy shit, like welcome to like Skype from the eighties. But second off, like, do we really think we're going to like deliver babies and do open heart surgery via zoom call? Like this really, like, this is, this is your grand vision. Like, like the, come on, like, we're all just being idiots right now. Come on. Like, can we just agree that healthcare is physical? Like this doesn't take a rocket scientist. Okay. Second off, like, the, the idea is, the idea is, again, if you truly want healthcare, if you truly want healthcare to scale, if you want healthcare to be efficient, you have to move from, from looking at people as, as labor that are servicing the system to labor that are building the system, right? Like my engineers aren't sitting there like running your app every time you, you open your app, right? They're not like, there's not like a little man in your phone going, oh, wait, he's launching the forward app. Let me go ahead and like open it, right? The engineers build the app so that you can use it. On the other hand, Every time you get the flu, there's a doctor dealing with your flu. Isn't this kind of crazy? We haven't seen the flu like billions of times on this planet. There, is, there isn't a team somewhere that goes, maybe we should just build the flu protocol like once. Like, I don't know, once and for all, can't we just build the flu protocol? Like, really, is your flu really that different than the next billion flus we're going to see? Like, we can't just build out the decision tree and be like, once and for all, we've managed the flu. Like, yeah, this is kind of absurd. And so what we're doing is we're treating all of healthcare as a service. And as you treat all of healthcare as a service, you're never, like you can play your efficiency and your utilization games. You can play all these games. You're always going to live in the wrong sphere. But if you treat it as a product, all of a sudden you're going to realize everything starts to change and you get to a new world. But yes, you move to a world of utilization. You move to a world of, of efficiency, et cetera. But at, at some point you need to move into the new world. And uh, and every other industry has done so from travel to um, to restaurants to you name it. But for some reason, we're incredibly precious about healthcare not moving there. Can't imagine why. Well, Adrian, it's been a pleasure to talk to you about your ambitious vision for reengineering our nation's healthcare infrastructure. We all know that we need it, uh, but it's great to see young, energetic, smart people like yourself tackling the problem. It was a pleasure to have you on Salt Talks. I appreciate uh, I appreciate being here and I appreciate being called young. I'll take it any day of the week. Thanks Absolutely. so much. And thank you everybody for tuning in to today's Salt Talk with Adrian Aoun, who is the founder and CEO of Forward. If you're looking for a new primary care doctor or looking to be part of sort of this healthcare technology revolution, 
go out and check out a, a forward office near you. Uh, but just want to remind everybody that if you missed any part of this talk or any of our previous SALT talks, you can access them all on our website. Uh, it's all on demand and free. It's at salt.org backslash talks or on our YouTube channel or on anywhere that you consume podcasts. You can find these in audio form as well. We're also on social media. Twitter is where we're most active at SALT Conference, but we're also on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook as well. Uh, and on behalf of the entire SALT team, this is John Darcy signing off for today. We hope to see you back here again soon.